fans. Hello everybody. <laughs> We're sitting in Crofters this morning with Donal and Ilana. Say hi to the camera folks. I suppose we're going to have to get used to this, aren't we? Oh, no. <laughs> well, it's a conversation, so the cameras are pointing. Yeah. You just yeah, ignore them, basically. Sure. Try okay. not to think of them. That will be hard at first, but you'll get the hang yeah. of it. Yeah. Will okay. we? Do we need full media training? Have you had makeup and hair done? Yep. You said <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking I might need a sharper razor, but yes. <laughs> so, yep. this is Crofters. Explain what Crofters is, first of all, and what it does in the village of Brodick. Right, okay, I'll, I'll just give a, a, a quick kind of synopsis of the plot that's kind of got us to where we are. Um, it was kind of March 2014 that we took the place on and we, we, we rented it. I had been working offshore and that took a bit of a nosedive and needed something to do. And it was friends of ours that had this place at the time, uh, it was being run as Elon Moore. And we were given the opportunity to, to lease it, which is, which is what we did. And with that kind of mentality of, you know, how hard can it be to run a, a, you know, a restaurant in a place, and we, we took it on. And the idea was to, um, to combine food and, and music, essentially. I mean, my background in music uh, goes back a long way and a lot of connections in the musical scene, both here and in Glasgow and Ayrshire. And it was just really, was like, let's try it. Let's, let, let's try, let's do decent food, let's run it as a decent bar, let's, uh, and let's put music on um, at, at the same time. And that really, that fundamental ethos hasn't changed. That you know, we've been through many, many stages of, of growth and trials and tribulations to, to get to where we are. But essentially, we are providing authentic Scottish hospitality here on the Isle of Arran, in the middle of Brodick, to all sorts of people that come to us from day trippers coming from the mainland to people who've booked in advance coming from Canada and Japan and Germany. Um, so it's, it's it's kind of taken on a bit of a life of its own, really. Mm. Well, we're pals. We've known each other for a while, so I watched that process. I'm not just some random guy off the street with a camera. <laughs> and it's been it's been great to watch the changes that have come and gone. And I'm really pleased that you're still here, and that you have plans to expand and to grow. And I'm really excited to have been invited to be part of this. So we had a conversation yesterday where. We spoke about social media content, we spoke about documenting what you do here as a means of trying to get more attention mm -hmm. and just to spread the word and let people know that you're here and what you do and why they should consider coming here. But it's much more than that, isn't it? It's more, you're thinking of the future in a big way in terms of growth and how to structure growth in a difficult environment on an island, the Scottish island, where the weather, the seasonality, all of these things come into play in a very big way. And the amount of covers that you have in here is is what it is. You can't yeah. do much about that. Yeah. And you're having yeah. to turn people away, yeah. which I've seen when I'm in yeah. here playing music. And I'm very excited to, to hear about what you have coming next. Well, I mean, my degree and my background is in engineering, um, prior to being really doing anything with music. And when I was working offshore, I was working in a, in a 
specific branch of, of, of navigation that had a lot of very highly kind of technical element to it. And in some respects, come into this without a hospitality background. Right, I really didn't know anything about hospitality. I have to be upfront about that. Um, I just had an idea and a conviction that you know could could make it work. And the way that I approach it, the way that I've looked at it, has been very much from a kind of um, an engineering point of view. There's a formula, right? There's a formula somewhere that that de defines and describes um, how everything operates. And it sounds a bit matrixy, but actually, in many respects, it is because. There are, there are variables, you know, we're dealing with a lot of numbers, there's a lot of data, there are many, many inputs and outputs that, that, that flow in and out of a place like this. And, and the, 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 the vision and the conviction and the, and the, and, and the, and the dream is, is one thing which is absolutely crucial because that's what kind of keeps you driving. But there has to be an acknowledgement that, that the formula needs to change at various stages because the variables change, mm. you know. When you're starting off, it's, it's relatively small. We, the place was actually closed when we took it on. There was no residual trade. There was no business. There was no nothing. Uh, everything was broken, and we had to start from scratch and, and pull that all together. And what was appropriate at that stage of development in terms of, um, well, in terms of our marketing, in terms of our product range, in terms of our staffing, in terms of the amount of infrastructure that the business needed from a legal and a compliance point of view, was fine then. But then what happened was that we got busy, and we got busier and busier and it put strain on all of the things that we'd put together in the first place, uh, including the musicians and, and, and the staff. And, and so the, the business has already had to go through serious, several phases of growth where we have had to restructure and reorganize and redefine the formula in order to allow it to expand. So, you know, in our, in our first year, I think we turned over in the region of 300,000 pounds, round about that, um, net of VAT. Um, and now, you know, we're heading towards something that's not far off double that. And in that process, systems have proven to be outdated simply by the increase in demand. That key variable, demand, is what has driven the growth of the, of the company to get to where it is. And there have been phases when, when it formula hasn't worked because we've not been able to satisfy that demand cost effectively. So I've learned a lot and there have been various iterations or reiterations of the formula um, and we're now at a stage where the product that we have and the demand that we have is very very good and we're very comfortable with it and, and it's working extremely well. Um, and the next phase is like the logical next step is to consider right okay we're working at capacity here and we've still got more demand than we can contend with than we can actually supply. We're disappointing dozens of people every night because we simply can't fit them in. So one one discussion would be to say, well, do you know what? That's fine because you know what we've got is working, and and you know we're happy with that. But ultimately, you know, there is more potential here to grow the business, um, which would involve satisfying more customers, make us um, more of a feature, more of an asset to the community and to the economy of the island, and also to be able to employ more staff. Um, and I like employing staff, you know, we have really, really good staff, we've got a lovely community of staff and it's about actually investing in the economy of the island as, as much as anything else. So to provide quality jobs in a place, you know, that, that needs it, um, mm -hmm. with a business that's open all year round, we are now at a stage where it's like, right, 
we're taking stock of everything that's going on and we are considering what the what the next stage might be for the for the growth of the company. Okay. How many shots did you put in that cup? Four shot. Maybe. He knows, he knows me so well. <laughs> Plug for We Love Coffee, by the way. You, you've, you've actually fueled the whole operation from the start. <laughs> Without you, we wouldn't be here. Can you come fix your grinder, please? <laughs> yeah, come and fix yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, so so you know that's 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 the sitting in, in broad terms, you know, that, that's the concept of, of where we've got to and the way that I approach it. Because I'm rubbish at working in the restaurant. I tried it. I did it for a few years. Um, but it's not it's not my my skill set, it's not it's not my strength. And um, you know, I think one of the key things is accepting when when you've got skills out with you know a certain environment. It's very very important to get people who are good at doing those jobs to do those jobs because they enjoy it. And that's where Alana comes in. <laughs> that's where Alana comes in. Yeah. So you yeah. say you've almost doubled your your turnover from from, from 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 year dot. Yeah, I mean yeah. year dot there was nothing, but I think after year one, uh, our turnover was. Um, yeah, it was just over three hundred thousand pounds, and, and yeah, and, and yeah, in, in six seasons we will we will have just about doubled it. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. And a large part of that will be down to Ilana, certainly in the last year. You think? In the last six months, anyway. Yeah. Six months. Um, well, I can kind of really only take ownership of the management place for the last six months. Previously, I was a front of house assistant. You know, I supported the other management managers that were in place at the time um, and, and did my job in terms of serving customers and dealing with the firefighting as was required. Um, you know what I learned... Metaphorically and literally. <laughs> yeah. like, I've seen this building itself develop from when, you know, first couple of years it being even more. This is where I cut my teeth in That's right. learning how to back. manage mm-hmm. restaurants. So. Yeah. You know, I've seen the full development of what this place was back under Calvin Vicky, where we didn't take reservations, it was walk-ins only, and yeah, okay, we might have done a lot more people, but it was highly stressful. And I remember being left with sole responsibility for, like, looking after this place and looking after all the customers at a very young age. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, developing up and seeing it grow from the different kind of, I suppose, avatars that it's been with the different staff, the different head chef, different styles of menus, the development and the growth to where we are now. And I think we've actually finally nailed it by stripping all pretense from the whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I see this as being like our front living room. You know, at one point it was, yeah. you know, our bedroom's upstairs, but this was our living room. And every customer that comes through the door is being welcomed into our family home whether that's metaphorically or actually you know, quite literally. Yeah. yeah. You know, every member of our staff has become an extension of the family. Yeah. But it's all there for the business operative. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a key yeah. point, you know, in terms of, you know, yes, yes, it's very much a family environment and there's a, there's a lot of support and, you know, um, for, between everybody and a lot of very, very close relationships. But that is actually predicated on a kind of restructuring that we did 
around the business imperatives because this this is what didn't work before. Before we had um, you know a properly implemented staff handbook, comprehensive staff handbook, and before staff had a contracts because in the early days there was no way we were going to spend time and money putting contracts in place. We just needed to get on with the job, yeah. you know, and that that was the modus operandi in in that phase. But that lack of structure and that lack of expectation management on both sides and that lack of certainty over where somebody fits into the structure of the organization led to a lot of problems because staff didn't really know what was expected of them. There was a lot that was tacit. We just assumed, I assumed, that people would know what to do and that they would operate with a certain level of integrity and to, to certain standards of professionalism. And that didn't happen. <laughs> a lot of the time, it didn't happen. And so I kind of grudgingly began to come around to the idea that actually, no, we do, we really, really do need to get this kind of fundamental business infrastructure in place uh, in order to kind of tighten the, the whole thing up. And so a lot of the kind of tribulations that we went through were actually as a result of me not doing what needed to be done, you know, and from, from that side of things. But now we do have that structure in place and the staff handbook is a working document which is reviewed you know, it was put out to the staff and the staff actually wrote half of it because all it was designed to do was to document the way that the place runs yeah. most most efficiently. Um, and I thought you can probably comment more on that because you, you had even more to do with it than, uh, than I did. I think one of the biggest things is that Kayla, my sister, and I are sticklers for the rules. You know, we like <laughs> our T's crossed and I's dotted and boxes ticked and, and to ensure that you know, we've covered all base marks and it really helped when the two of us were pulling it together to know that we had a checklist of things that we fundamentally wanted because it, that's, pro that's probably our security blanket but it's also compliance, it's legal, it's oh, legislation yeah. Yeah. but what was really important was that implementing such a drastic kind of change in operations I needed to have the staff have a say in what they do because if I come in and be like, boom, this is it, blah there would have been a whole lot of resistance. And there was resistance along the way. But I think by encouraging them to take ownership, to be like, this is your working document, it's for your interest and for ours, and it's a true representation of what we do. It helps pull back the guidelines, it helps with the assistance of training new staff, it helps to strip out egos when they come in, because it's not about how you do or how you did it previously, it's about what we've learned in the you know, six years we've been here, Six seasons. Six seasons that we've been here. What works best for this business in this space for our customers? Um, yeah, and now you know everybody's like, can I check that again? You no, know, what actually does the word say? How am I supposed to do it? All right, okay, yeah, great. And now just by giving everybody the opportunity to read that, even before they start, it gives a level of expectation management because they know how we want it to be done. And it also helps solidify whether people want to buy into what we do. Because sometimes that's, it's just too much for somebody to come on board and go like, you've got policies and procedures, it's how you have to do it. But for those that buy into it, it gives us security for them as well. Yeah, and it's actually proven to be a very effective filter for us in the rec recruitment process. Because if somebody's presented with that degree of structure and formality at an early stage, if they are, you know, a fly-by-night or a charlatan in some respects, they don't get past go. 
yeah. you know, they're, they're deterred by the fact that, and conversely, people who are used to working in the corporate environment and, you know, professionally structured organizations identify with it and feel comfortable because they realize that the ethos behind the management has a structure and, and expectations are being set. And what that allows for, and I, before we actually did it, I just didn't fully appreciate it at all. It allows for a much more relaxed working environment. There's a deep irony in here. Yeah. Um, having that formality and that structure and that discipline allows everyone to relax and know where they stand and know what's expected of them. And then it becomes fun instead of being chaos. Yeah. I mean, it's always a degree of managed chaos because that's just the nature of the industry. Um, but all of a sudden, the whole thing becomes more enjoyable and people want to come to work. And they know that they can't you know, take the piss because they're not going to get away with it. They know that the cash is being reconciled to the penny on a daily basis. The stock takes are being done, you know, every week. You know, we've got all the data now, we've set all the systems up. And a lot of that is down to my background, you know, but it's, and I've installed these systems, but we didn't have staff to operate the systems. Staff were disinterested and just didn't see the need for it or... But that legacy staff then who been yes. here before yeah. Yeah. the systems it, were implemented? Exactly. And the big change that's happened since Alana came on board is that she has actively engaged and used the systems and with Kayla's help as well, we started to actually analyze the data. In the, in the past, we were just collecting data. Data sitting there and not informing decisions, whereas now we're actually in a position yeah. to, to look at, we've, we've collected, well, nearly, well, two and a half years of, of data through the, through the EPOS, uh, the major point of sale system. Um, and now we've got a very, very, very good um, data bank of what works, what sells, times of day, you know, where, where the demand is. Yeah. And, and even down to which customers, which of our staff are better at selling what products as well. And yeah. one of the things that we've talked previously about is that all of our staff have a really firm knowledge and understanding about hospitality industry, about the development of products, about the ethos behind products. And they've all got their own interests, whether that's in wine, spirits, food, coffee, you know, all of it, is that being able to then share that information across allows us to really be able to inform our customers of what we've got. Because one, again, one of the big things that I did when I came on board was that I made the move to change all of my gantry and all my spirit products to Scottish produced family run businesses. Yeah. And that was difficult, it was challenging, you know, a lot of people don't know the products that are on the shelf, but by having a solid understanding and base level knowledge in, you know, what makes a gin, why is a gin, why do these botanicals get used, you know, all of that, are rummed, how can there suddenly be Scottish rum produced? And having that information there from each member of staff, we share them, we, you know, we meet together once a week and have a group chat training meeting sometimes it's specifically dedicated to a certain element other times it's like it's just a reflection on the previous week or month and what do we do to go forward but it's really useful because you can see where people's strengths are and use them to the business's advantage as well but all backed up through data not just by my subjective and opinion or someone else's yeah and i think i think that's really important you know it's, it's this kind of combination of having a vision and a conviction and you know that whole kind of creative principle. You know, I think when you get involved in in, in building a business like this, it is very much. It's a bit like any artistic endeavor. You know, you're actually creating something, yeah. but there needs to be the discipline and there needs to be the structure that that reinforces that creative impulse. 
And I think that's one of the key things about entrepreneurialism that people maybe don't understand is, yeah. is that you have, and I've had to learn the hard way, that it's all very well having the vision and acting on it, but you have to, to back it up. You have to have that discipline and that, those systems and structures. And what's happened essentially in the last six months um, is, is an alignment of the, the core ethos of the business, which is about local provenance of food and drink generally, and music. And culture is you know authentic Scottish hospitality you know encompasses the whole ethos of what we do but now more than ever we've got an alignment um, where we're just getting closer to using the suppliers that operate at a level of professionalism so they can satisfy the demand but are themselves artisan producers you know especially in the in the, in the spirits sector um, but also the likes of Bellhaven I mean they're, they're by far the oldest um, Scottish brewery and producing very very high quality stuff and you know all right they're on the other side of the country but but they're as kind of local as we can get within that ethos mm. and that really is how we've started to approach the sourcing of, of of what we can get so it's bringing together that vision with the systems and the data so that everything's quantified we know how much the gross profit is on everything we're selling you know to to fraction of a percent and and that makes the whole thing work you know, I think we're finally starting to align as well with what our client market is and identifying like our customer avatars and drawing that line, the distinction between what people expect and what people want and what we can provide them with. So again, you know, come back to expectation management, you know, those that walk through the door, 99% of them love what we do because they get it, they understand it, they want to buy into it, they want to be a part of it. You know, there's always those that maybe aren't aware of it yet, or it's not where they want to be themselves. But everybody, near enough, you know, can't please everyone. We can't please everyone. <laughs> but by having no. a clear, defined ethos, this is what we do. Yeah. You either like it or you don't. Yeah. Um, and the people who do like it buy into it and really appreciate what you have to do. Yeah.